Hey, I'm Michael, online pastor at Silverdale Baptist Church, and I'm excited to welcome you to our podcast. Now, after you listen to this episode, I hope you'll stick around for just a moment. I'll be sharing about some resources we have for you, as well as a few things going on at Silverdale right now that we would love for you to be a part of. Now, I really hope this podcast is just what you need today to help you in your relationship with Jesus. So last week we left Joseph, and he had been taken out of the pit, out of prison, and he was brought before the king, the pharaoh, right? And the pharaoh had a problem. The pharaoh had a dream, and the dream had disturbed him, and he wanted it to be interpreted, but no one in the land could interpret it except for Joseph because the dream was from God, and only someone who was of God or knew God or saved by God could interpret it. So Joseph comes into the palace. Joseph interprets it, interprets the dream, but then he does something else just a little unusual in that he also gives a recommendation. He gives a plan on how to avoid the coming famine. So that's kind of where we just kind of stopped last week. You can go back and listen to it if you haven't done that. But um, just imagine the scene, kind of. I like to imagine the scene. Maybe you can as well. We got Joseph. Joseph is in his slave robe and all of that, and he's before the Pharaoh, the most powerful man in the world, at least at that time. He's in the most palatial, luxurious palace and all the world, and he just interpreted a dream, and then he had also given unsolicited advice on how to navigate what this dream means, and so we're left there. We got all the advisors around in the room. I'm guessing falls kind of silent because, because they're waiting. They're waiting to hear what the king, the pharaoh, would say. He very well could look at Joseph and say, back to the, the prison, or he could say, your time's over, man. I don't like the way that you spoke to me. So today we're going to see, we're going to see Pharaoh reply to all that Joseph has said. And what we're going to see is as the Pharaoh responds, he's actually going to give Joseph three promotions. And we're just going to walk through these three promotions and let the weight of this beautiful text fall on us. Beginning in verse 37, the first promotion we're going to see is Joseph's new position. Joseph's new position, he gets a new position. Let me just read verse 37. After this silence, after Joseph has said this, this is what the Word of God says, this proposal pleased Pharaoh and all of his servants. So after Joseph interprets the dream, and and after Joseph says, hey, listen, this is what should happen, it appears that Pharaoh kind of turns to all of his advisors They call him servants here, but I believe that's his advisors, and every single one of them, the word is all, every, excuse me, every one of them agreed. They're all pleased at what Joseph has proposed. No one dissented. No one said, hey, let's think about this. They were all pleased. (laughs) I was thinking about this. This may be one of the most underrated miracles in the Bible because I've been to a lot of meetings and proposals and I've never been to one, even a simple one, where no one dissented and no one said, hey, what about this? But we see the sovereign God of hand in this and and that every single one of them were pleased by what Joseph had said. And then the Pharaoh's going to continue in verse 38. He's going to ask a question. So you see he's pleased and you see that all these Servants, all of these advisors are pleased, and now he's going to ask a question out loud. He says this in verse 38, And Pharaoh said to his servants, 
Can we find a man like this in whom is the Spirit of God? That's a great question. I don't know if you remember, but last week Joseph had, had kind of given this plan and he said what you need to do is find a man who's wise, find a man who is able to enact this. And this is kind of what the Pharaoh is queuing up on here. He's saying, where can we find a man like this? Now, the Pharaoh has Joseph in mind. We'll see that in just a moment. But there's two things that really stand out to me in this verse that I think is helpful to you and I. First thing I want you to notice is Joseph. Joseph just stands He just stands, right? He's standing there and he knows that he alone fits all these requirements. He's the only man in Egypt in whom the Spirit of God rests. There is no one who has any other qualifications for this job, but notice he doesn't yell out, me, 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 pick me, Pharaoh. He doesn't raise his hand, roll out his resume, and start telling the Pharaoh, all the reasons why he should be the man whom Pharaoh chooses. He just stands there. My question is this, why? Why? Why does Joseph not step forward? Why does he not try to manipulate the moment? Why doesn't he try to drop some hints? I feel, I fear, and I know far too often in my life, I probably have tried to manipulate things. But somewhere... In prison, Joseph learned something. He learned to let the Lord have his way and his time for his purposes because God is sovereign. Joseph had no need to manipulate the situation. Joseph Joseph had no need to kind of promote himself. And I'll tell you, this stands out in our culture today. A man like this stands out because we live in a culture where we as a people are continually trying to promote ourselves. It's the air we breathe, right? Everyone has a platform. Everyone's building a platform. And everyone seems to be promoting themselves, but not Joseph. Not Joseph. He just stands there, knowing full well that he's the only one who meets all those credentials. Joseph knows that if God wills it to happen, there's nothing you can do to stop it. And if the Lord does not will it to happen, there's nothing you can do to accomplish it. He knows the sovereignty of God. Now, I will say this. I'll say this. I know that um, at church I have run into um, men and women who will we'll sing it. We'll sing, we'll sing. We will sing about the sovereignty of God. But then we leave and we go out and we try to manipulate things as though God was not sovereign. I think that I was thinking about it today. Who is it? Um, man, A.W. Tozer. A.W. Tozer, he says this. He says this. Christians don't lie. They just come to church and sing them. And there's some truth to that. There's some truth to that. But, but not Joseph. Not Joseph. He is not going to promote himself. He just stands there resting in the sovereignty of God. But the second thing I want us to notice, this is tremendous. I want us to notice Pharaoh. Pharaoh acknowledges. This is staggering. I want you to notice that Pharaoh got what Joseph was saying. Remember last week, Joseph said, Pharaoh said, hey, I need this dream interpreted. And Joseph goes, I can't do it. It's not in me. I do not have the ability to interpret dreams 
But the living God can. And the living God will tell me, and I will reveal that to you in myself. I have no secret power. And we understand that from this, the way Pharaoh replies here, we see that Pharaoh gets it. He gets that there's a living God speaking, living, residing in Joseph. He says, how can we find a man like this? Check it out. In whom is, in whom is the spirit of God? We don't see it quite yet, but he's talking about Joseph. He looks at Joseph and he says, the spirit of God is in him in a way that I've never seen before. Now, Pharaoh doesn't all of a sudden understand the God of the Bible but he does understand that God has communicated to Joseph. It's amazing. The truth that, that the Pharaoh says here without even knowing it. But Joseph was indwelt by God the Spirit. And God was on him. And God had spoken to him. And Pharaoh gets this. He sees it. He understands it. At least in part, I think perhaps he, un- he might understand Pharaoh might actually understand the tremendous power that is in God residing in people more so than some Christians understand God the Spirit. But that's the picture. Joseph stands there. Pharaoh acknowledges God has spoken to him through him. Get to verse 39. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, and he's going to say it again, check it out. Since God has shown you all of this. See, he knows it's God. There is none so discerning as wise as you are. You shall be over my house and all my people shall order themselves as you command. Only as regard the throne will I be greater than you. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. Staggering, staggering. But once again, you, you kind of get, 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 get the mind of Pharaoh here. He's saying, God has shown you all of this Pharaoh looks at him and says, God clearly lives and resides in this man like no one else in our whole country. God speaks to him. It appears that God only speaks to him because God's not speaking to any of us. And because Pharaoh sees this, because Pharaoh understands this, at least in part, he says, I'm going to make make you over all the land and over all the people. In fact, there's only one person you won't be over, Joseph, and that is me because I am... The king, right? You got to give Pharaoh some credit here, right? He's pretty sharp. In business books or in leadership books, you can read about this principle. It's called staffing your weakness. And that's exactly what Pharaoh is doing here. He's staffing his weakness. It means what you do is in the areas that you know you're weak in, you hire people to kind of work in those areas, and you call it staffing your weakness. And that is exactly what Pharaoh's doing here because he realizes that Joseph is really greater than him in every area. He says, you know what? I want you to take on all of this. But what I don't want us to miss, what I want us to see is that the Pharaoh had spent his whole life preparing to be Pharaoh. He was educated to be Pharaoh. He was trained to be Pharaoh. He had money, he had fame, he had power, he had riches, he had glory, he had education, he had possessions. But there's one thing the Pharaoh did not have, and that was God the Spirit. He did not have that. Why? Because that's a gift of grace. That's a gift of grace. You can't earn that. You can't work for that. You can't merit it. God the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, lives in whomever he wants to live in. 
He takes up residence in whomever he chooses. Pharaoh can't buy the Holy Spirit. He can't control the Holy Spirit. He can't command the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is God and he's free to do what he wants and live and reside in whomever he pleases. And we see that happening. Joseph only has the Holy Spirit and Pharaoh looks at him with all of his training, all of his wealth. And he goes, I can't match that. I can't match that. All my training, I can't match that. Therefore, I'm going to put him over everything. Put him over everything. It's interesting to me, and I've been thinking on this, and I just want to talk about it a moment, and I've already alluded to it briefly. I fear too often that we as believers, those who have been saved by God, do not put enough weight on God the Spirit and the significance of being indwelt by God the Spirit. I know that I've undervalued that before in my life, and I have a tendency to undervalue it even now, and I pray that we don't. I remember when I was in seminary, I want to share the story with you. It's one of the many times that the Lord reminded me of his greatness, of his grandeur, of his sufficiency, of the indwelling spirit in those whom he has saved. Um, when I was in seminary, um, I was blessed to get an internship at um, Forest Meadow Baptist Church. It was in Albuquerque, New Mexico, and the senior pastor was a man named Dr. Brookie Stockton. He was a professor at the seminary over Old Testament. Brilliant man, loved him. And to that point, until that, up until that point, I had never met a man who took the word of God so seriously. He held the pulpit in high regard, and I was blessed to be an intern there. And so, when Dr. Stockton was out, he would get someone to preach for him, and there were no shortage of men who wanted to preach in Dr. Stockton's pulpit. Often it'd be another professor from the seminary or something like that, but um, there's this one Sunday, this one Sunday. And I was like two pews back, because that's where all good interns sit. You don't want to seem over-eager, but you also want him to see your face when he's preaching, you know. That's, that's manipulating, right? <laughs> I confess. But here's the deal. We're sitting there, and I remember this. Uh, towards the end of the sermon, Dr. Stockton says this. He goes this. He says this. It's preaching. He goes, I'm not going to be here next week. And then he says this. Next week, Travis is going to preach. He hadn't talked to me. No, nobody told me nothing. And so I'm like excited, right? I'm going to preach in Dr. Stockton's pulpit. And I am terrified because I had no clue and I don't know what I'm doing. After the sermon was over and he spoke to people, I made a beeline to Dr. Stockton. And I said, Dr. Stockton, um, I understand I'm preaching next week. And he goes, and Dr. Stockton's a big man. He had a, a beard and he reminded me of a patriarch himself. And he goes, yes, you are. Okay. And... And, and I love the man so much, but I didn't want to ask too much, but I'm like, what do you want me to preach on? Right? It's, a, it's a fair question. It's a fair question. Do you want me to, to preach where you left off or something else? What do you want me to preach on? And I remember this. Dr. Stockton, and I learned this lesson, and I'm still learning this lesson, and I want us all to learn this lesson. Dr. Stockton um, looked at me with these stern eyes. He's hard to read, these stern eyes, but he was severe, and he was right to the point. He said, Travis, that's between you and the living God. God. And then he walked off. And I said to myself, and I thought to myself, he's right. He's right. It's not though I've been left an orphan. It's not though you've been left an orphan. God the Spirit does reside in you if he has saved you. 
I fear in my life at least, and it's probably true of some of us, so I'm not trying to offend you. I'm in this boat as well. I, I fear that perhaps sometimes we don't seek it because it requires prayer. It requires being on our face. But nonetheless, Pharaoh recognizes that in Joseph, God the Spirit rests and he promotes him to this new position. Once again, I encourage us as a people, do not undervalue God the Spirit. Second promotion he's going to get, verse 42. Joseph's new power. I'm going to get some new power. It's one thing to get a position, but if you don't get the power to do the job in that position, you just got a name. Like, like you know, you've, you've met people and they're like, you know, I'm the executive vice president to the vice president's second assistant. Like it's a big name, but what do you do? I get coffee. Okay, that's cool. You got a cool name. You got a cool name, but without the power, it means nothing. Now we're going to see the Pharaoh give him the power. Check this out. Verse 42. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his hand and put it on Joseph's hand and clothed him in garments of fine linen and put a gold chain about his neck. And he made him ride in his second chariot, and they called out before him, bow the knee. Thus he set him over all the land of Egypt. So he's got a new position, and now he gets new power. How do we know this? He gets four gifts. First gifts, he gets a signet ring. He gets a signet ring. The Pharaoh doesn't give him a copy of his signet ring. The Pharaoh takes off his signet ring and gives it, places it on Joseph's hand. It symbolizes the authority of Pharaoh himself. With that signet ring, you could stamp invoices, stamp laws. It verified and validated You have all the power of the king. Second, he gives him a a robe of linen. And this is interesting. This is another subset we could follow. I'm not going to, but this is not the first time Joseph has had new garments. Remember the very first robe he got was a robe of many colors given to him by his father when he was young. He had lost it at the hands of his brothers. That robe signified that he was favored by his father. He only had that robe for a short time. He was given a second robe in Potiphar's house. He didn't have that robe very long. Potiphar's wife ripped it off of him when he was fleeing her, but he didn't have that robe very long, but it signified that he was a slave. Now we see him getting his third robe here, and this robe signifies that he's a ruler, that he's a ruler of the land, and he will have this robe for 80 years. Then he's given a gold chain, That symbolizes that he's a man to be respected and revered. And then he's given a royal chariot. These are all really cool gifts, really. Um, This chariot, though, it's a a tricked-out chariot. Check it out. And he made him ride... This is what, and he made him ride in his second chariot. It says that in verse 43. This means that no other chariot could be in front of his chariot except for the pharaohs, right? Well, how do you know if Joseph's in a chariot? Well, it says here, Pharaoh got some men running in front of Joseph, saying, bow the knee. So there is no mistake here. It's amazing. He's going all over Egypt. He got his signet ring. He's got his robe. He's got his chain. He's in a chariot. And as he goes, men go before him and say, bow the knee. What a turn of events. He went, the night before this, he was in prison. Now, I don't know. I don't know what Joseph is thinking as he's on this chariot and people are bowing as he rides. 
But I am quite certain he was praising the Lord for his grace and his providence. So we see this new position. We see this new power. Third thing we're going to see is Joseph's new prominence. You get a new position, you get new power, you're going to get new prominence. Check this out. I find these last few verses we're going to go over some of the most interesting. Moreover, Pharaoh said to Joseph, <laughs> it appears that, that Pharaoh's a little insecure here. I am Pharaoh. Okay, thanks for telling us. We know you're in the big chair. And without your consent, no one shall lift up hand or foot in all of the land of Egypt. I mean, he seems a little insecure. He got all his people there. He's like, oh, listen, wait, wait. I'm the king. Don't forget that, okay? I am the king. But Joseph, he's going to rule everything. He's going to do all the work. Just like Joseph in the house of Potiphar was given everything to watch over, he was faithful and he prospered, that is, Potiphar. And just like the jailer allowed Joseph to be over the jail and everything prospered because of his faithfulness, Pharaoh's doing the same thing. He's saying, Joseph, you are now over the whole land. That's new, pro- that's new prominence. It is. Now, I spent some time on these next two verses, and I want to show you some. I, I just, this is some of the stuff that just really gets me going, and I want to show it to you. Because um, the Pharaoh does two really kind of odd things. And some people, some people love them. They're dear brothers, but some people read this, and um, they kind of like, I don't get this. I don't understand this. Some people don't like it, but I, want, I know we can understand this. Look, J- Pharaoh gives him two, new th- two other things. Look, he gives him a name. He's given a name. Check this out. I love this. I might have spent too much time on this. Nonetheless, you can thank me later or um, not. <laughs> and Pharaoh called Joseph's name Zaphonath Padnach. It's kind of guttural. You got this Egyptian going on. The question is, what's going on here? Right? What's going on here? What's going on here? Pharaoh's giving him a new name, and he's accepting it, okay? Now, some people, some commentaries, some people look at this, and they say, well, it appears that Joseph might be backsliding, right? That he's, 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 he's taking on their religion. He's taking on this pagan name, but there's no need to go that far. There's no need to go that far, because first, remember, the, he is, Pharaoh is the king. King says, you've got a new name. You say, okay, I got, I got a new name. Second, it doesn't say that Joseph worshiped these other gods, It's not there. It's like Daniel in Babylon. He got a new name too, but he didn't backslide. If Pharaoh would have said, okay, Joseph, here's your new name. You got to worship me as God. He would have said no, but that's not what's going on here. Joseph is like, "Um, you want to give me a nice Egyptian name? I'll take the nice Egyptian name. He's not a hypersensitive Christian. It's not impeding upon his conscience or his theology. But here's the third thing I want to talk about that I spent the most time thinking on. Um, I do not believe there's an accidental word in the Bible. I believe every word's there for a purpose, and this name is here to teach us something. There's something about this name that we are to see to make us understand God in the situation better. So I spent some time researching and thinking on this. Of course, um, my um, Egyptian is poor at best, but here's the deal. There's linguists, there's Egyptologists, and they all write books. You can read their books, and I've read some of them. A lot of them I haven't. My favorite Egyptologist, I've talked to you about this, is Dr. Kenneth Kitchen. He's got a book called On the Reliability of the Old Testament on page 345. I'm going to say that again so you don't have to trust me. You can go read it. 
Reliability of the Old Testament, page 345. I got in my office, I read it. Dr. Kitchen concludes, and I agree with him, I read it. I read some other things, but um, let me just quickly say what he's concluded. Zaphanoth, that first word, is translated best, Joseph who is called. Makes sense. But that last part, Panachach, in Egypt, Egyptian, means he who recognizes life. That really hit me hard. I have no reason to doubt Dr. Kitchen's conclusion, but it appears that Pharaoh has just titled him in Egyptian, Joseph, who recognizes life. He's like, there's something different about this guy. There's something unlike any other person has about this guy. And so I'm going to name him that. So before people even meet him, they will see that he's different than everyone else. I think that's what we're meant to see. I think that's what we're meant to understand. He was clearly distinct. And Christians, I say this all the time, we are to be a clearly distinct people, and Joseph was. Second thing, real quick, he is given a wife. Verse 45, the next part, and he gave him in marriage Asenath, the daughter of Patapira, priest of On. Once again, some people protest. They say, well, he's, he's dating a pagan priest's daughter. Well, he is. There's no doubt. He was that her father was a pagan priest, but it doesn't say that she was. It doesn't say anything about her. You know what the Bible does say about her? Well, here's what I think. I'm quite certain Joseph told her about the living God. I believe God saved her. And you say, well, Travis, how can you know from that text that God saved her? Well, she goes on to have two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. Manasseh and Ephraim are godly men. They grow up to be godly men. And I'm telling you right now, it's very rare for men to grow up godly without having a godly mother. And so I believe that she was a godly mother. There's no need to get hypersensitive on all this stuff. He's not a lesser man because of all this. He's just going with it. God's blessing it. Verse 45, so Joseph went out over the land of Egypt. This symbolizes the establishment of the rule of Joseph. He's got a new position. He's got new power. He's got new prominence. I think, I've been thinking a lot, probably too much, but I want to go back. I want to go back to my story um, when, I was in, when I was an intern. Uh, I've never shared this story, but I remember after I preached that sermon, the Lord blessed it. It was adequate at best, but they let me keep preaching when Dr. Stockton was out. Um, I don't know, it'd been about six months later, Dr. Stockton's out, and, and I'm preaching, and I'm praying, and I'm relying on God the Spirit to the best of my ability, and, um, and, uh, and I preach, and I know it was a biblically sound message. I'm sure I could have said it better, there's no doubt, but it was, it was, it was, it was a straight sermon. And um, after I preached, about six months later, um, a person in the church got very offended at something I said in the sermon. I'd never dealt with that before. Now, this wasn't, this wasn't just someone who occasionally attended. This was a bona fide member of the church, someone who was a part of that church, someone who had family in this church. That was, that was this person, and they were really upset with me about what I had preached. And I went home, and it devastated me, and I'm just praying. I'm like, man, I just hope no one else hears about this. That's what I'm thinking, right? As the week progressed, it so happened that this person was talking to other persons <laughs> that happens sometimes. 
And um, they were talking to other people, and I'm like, man, this is so bad. I felt bad. I knew Dr. Stockton, he's going to get back in town. He's going to hear the story. Here's what I was praying. I was praying, I hope he doesn't hear. That was a naive prayer, right? I'm hoping he doesn't hear. Nevertheless, the next Sunday comes around. Once again, I'm sitting in the second pew or whatever, and I told Charity, I'm like, man... um, Let's get when he gets through preaching. Let's get out of here. I want listen. I wanted to get as much time away from the incident and to well, I have to actually face the consequences, right? And I'm, you might have been there before. So I'm like, when he's through preaching, I'm just going to leave. Let's don't talk to anybody. Please don't talk to anybody, baby. Let's just go. Good exit plan. Maybe some of you have had similar exit plans. I don't know, but um, he finished. He finishes preaching. And um, for whatever reason, I don't know, maybe Charity had to go do something. I don't know. We'll, we'll talk about that tonight. I can't remember. <laughs> but I go to sneak out a side door, right? I don't want to see Dr. Stockton. I don't want him. I'm thinking, I'm going to lose my internship. I'm never going to be able to preach again here. It was, it was because this family was real, this person was really upset with me. So I go outside, and I was by myself, and it was cold outside. I remember it was cold that day, and I'm just sitting there, every little coward. <laughs> I'm going to hide. And uh, the door swings open, and it's Dr. Stockton, all by himself. And he walks out, and here's what he told me. This is how I remember it. It may not be word for word, but this is how I remember the conversation. He walks up to me, and we're outside, and he goes, Travis, I understand that so-and-so was offended at your sermon. And I said, yes, sir. Yes, sir. He looked at me again. I see he's a tall guy looking down at me, these stern eyes. It was hard to make him out, but in my mind, he was really angry at me. And he goes, Travis, I want to tell you something, and I want you to remember this. He said, the Bible is offensive. And then he looked up. He looked back down at me, and I remember he put his, his, arm, his, his hand on me, looking straight at me. He goes, preach it anyway. And he walked off. I'm not making that stuff up. Gets even more crazy. That family left the church. He never again talked to me about it. Shortly after that, they called me to be the associate teaching pastor. Listen, I don't know how this stuff works. I don't know, man. I do know, or suspect, I know. Starts with faithfulness. Starts with faithfulness. You see, like Joseph, we are not called to be liked by the world. We're not called to self-promote. We're called to be faithful. Is it hard to be faithful? Yeah. Do it anyway. Is it hard to have integrity in a world that lacks it in every capacity? Yes. Do it anyway. Is it difficult to tell your neighbor about Jesus? Is it difficult to tell your co-workers about Jesus? Yes. Do it anyway. Is it hard to live a pure life? Is it hard to keep your eyes not from gazing upon movies they ought not or internet sites they should not? Yes. Do it anyway. Is it hard to faithfully serve this church, your church, this service? It can be. Do it anyway. And I'm going to say this as well. 
Is it hard to get in a small group and build community? It can be. Do it anyway. Do it anyway. Do it anyway. Church, next week we're going to continue because this story continues to get more and more amazing. God is good. He is faithful. Even if you don't see it, he is working for his glory among the nations and our joy. Well, I hope this was helpful to you. If while listening, you realized you need to take the next step in your relationship with Jesus, we would love to help you with that. You can connect with us by clicking the link in the show notes to our website and then clicking the connect card button. In our weekend worship services, we are in a sermon series called The Seven Commands of Christ. Jesus gave dozens of commands, and as followers of Jesus, we should obey all of them. Over the next several weeks, we are focusing on seven that will change your life. We would love for you to join each week at one of our campuses, or you can attend online. You will find service times by clicking the link in the show notes to our website. You know, there's so many ways for you to get involved and be a part of what God is doing here at Silverdale, and we really want you to feel welcome and a part. So please, stay connected. Be sure to like and follow us on the different social media accounts. You'll find all the links in the show notes of this episode. And lastly, help us spread the word about this podcast. Take a moment to share this episode with your family and friends. Again, we appreciate you listening and hope you will join us again next time.